0: Amen, amen. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you this morning, and it's a special joy for me to get to be with you in this way, to get to stand before you and open God's Word. Pastor Tim has asked me to share a little bit about one of our core values, witness, and discuss what it means for us to testify to the person and work of Christ. So in theory, we're taking a break from our study through the book of Mark. But I hope you'll see today what we learn is inseparable from the good news that we've heard Pastor Tim preach from Mark. Before we dive in, let's pray. Father, you are good. You are at work in this earth through your people. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your word. And we ask you to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear and receive your word this morning and give us grace to obey your commands. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in high school, I was a super shy kid. Some of you might be surprised. I rarely had the courage or didn't ever have the courage to ask a girl on a date. So I was kind of intrigued when I heard this story of a high school freshman who was known for asking high school senior girls out on dates. So they constantly turned him down. They always said no. But to his surprise, one day one of them said yes. So they go to this movie on a Friday night, and he's got some courage about halfway through, and he leans over to her and says, hey, do you want a kiss? And he can immediately tell by the look on her face that her answer is not going to be yes. (laughs) So unfazed, he reaches into his jacket and he pulls out a bag of Hershey's kisses and offers her one. And so the moral of the story is always have a backup plan. (laughs) But today, I think we're going to see from God's word that he plans to reach the world with his good news through his people and through their testimony. And God does not have a backup plan. If you're a Christian this morning, it's God's plan to use you and your testimony. We could even say that together we are God's plan to reach the earth with his good news. So so far, Pastor Tim has preached to us from the Gospel of Mark, and we looked at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Today we're going to fast forward all the way to the end of his earthly ministry in Acts chapter 1. So when we get to this point, verse 8 in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has already been baptized by John. He's already called his disciples. He's already healed the sick. He's performed countless other miracles. He's even been betrayed. He's been arrested. He's been nailed to the cross. He's already died. And he's risen again from the grave. And now he's appeared to his disciples, proving that he is victorious over the grave. So you can imagine the disciples' anticipation when we get to verse 8. So it's all starting to make sense for them. This Jesus... He is who he says he was. He's risen from the grave to prove that he is the king. He is victorious. He is the one. And so they come to him and they ask him a question in verse 6. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were thinking of Jesus' mission as a political mission, that he was going to restore a kingdom to one people in one place at one time. But Jesus says, actually, it's far bigger than that. And that's none of your business, when I'm going to restore the kingdom. But let me tell you about your business. You. So he's like, you're asking me, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. This morning, in those words of Jesus, these are his last words on earth, by the way, we're going to see three things. First, that we're commanded to be witnesses. Second, that we're empowered to be witnesses. And third, that we are stationed to be witnesses. So first... We're commanded to be witnesses. Look back at the text, Acts 1-8. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Before we dive in, we need to talk about what it means to even be a witness. So at the Avenue, we call witnessing, our core value, testifying to the person and work of Christ. Another way we can say it is, witnesses are those who testify what they have seen and what they have heard. So the disciples here, when Jesus says, you are my witnesses, he's not just saying, you have seen what I've done and who I am. Or you have heard who I am and what I've done, but you've heard, you've seen, and you will speak of me no matter what it costs you. That word witness in the original language is the same word we get the word martyr from. The martyrs are those who die because of their testimony. So Jesus is saying, no matter the cost, you will testify of me. So what does it mean that we're commanded to be witnesses? I think it means being a witness is not an option. (laughs) Notice Jesus says, You will be my witnesses, not you might be my witnesses. He doesn't say you should be my witnesses. He doesn't even say some of you will be my witnesses. He says you will be my witnesses. So he's assuming that all of his followers will take part in his plan to reach the world by testifying of him. We know from places like Ephesians 4, there are some people who God has given a unique gift and call of evangelism But we see here clearly Jesus does not exclude any of his followers from testifying of who he is. And the fact that he tells us to witness, that's reason enough for us to obey. Jesus is the Lord of the universe. If he says it, we should do it. If we call Jesus Lord, but don't do the things he says, is he really our Lord? Jesus says it like this in Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And again, Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Christians today, we're quick to know that we're not saved by following Jesus's commands. It's not by our works. We're saved by grace through faith. Scripture is clear on that. But scripture is also clear that faith plays out in practical ways. James says, faith without works is dead. Someone else has said it like this, we're saved by faith alone, but true faith does not remain alone. Francis Chan, a pastor some of you may have heard of, gives a good example. He says, if I go to my daughter and say, clean your room, it would be silly if she came back and said, oh, daddy, I, remember, I remembered what you said. You said, clean your room. Or it would be silly if she said, daddy, I remembered it and I learned how to say clean your room in Greek. It doesn't make sense. Or if she said, okay, dad, you said, clean your room. Here's the plan. I'm going to get my friends, we're going to get together every week and talk about what it would look like for me to clean my room. (laughs) It's silly, but isn't that how we treat the Word of God? What if we just did what God said? Despite what it might cost us, despite our feelings of uncertainty, despite lack of clarity, Jesus commands us to be his witnesses. And he's not just commanding us so that we can get out of our comfort zones and build character. People need to hear this good news. God is using us in his plan. Are we willing to obey King Jesus, even if it means reordering, maybe even losing our lives? So being a witness is not an option. I also think it's a natural result of following Jesus. So if you're like me, when you hear that word evangelism, you kind of tense up, get a little anxious. There's discomfort and fear surrounding evangelism or sharing our faith. But our role as witnesses is not meant to be a burden. First John 5, 3 says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So that means Jesus has commanded us to be witnesses. His command to be a witness is not a burden. And I think it's not a burden because it's a natural result of following him. It's not this complicated thing that we need a doctorate in theology to understand. And in fact, Rebecca Pippert, she wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker. She says it like this. Our problem in evangelism is not that we don't have enough information. It is that we don't know how to be ourselves. We forget that we are called to be witnesses to what we have seen and know, not to what we don't know. The key on our part is authenticity and obedience. Sharing Jesus is a natural result of following him. If we look in Acts a little bit later, in chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested for sharing Jesus, and they go before the rulers of the day who tell them, don't speak of this Jesus anymore. They say, stop testifying. But here's what Peter responds. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They can't help but speak of what they've seen and heard. They can't help but witness. This is natural, we do this all the time. We don't keep good things to ourselves. If you eat good food, you share it with somebody. If you hear a good song, you share it with somebody. Just a few weeks, I got to take this gift, not even actually take the gift, I got to take news of a gift to a friend. So the gift wasn't from me, I was just going to tell her, hey, someone got you this gift. So before I could even finish explaining what the gift was, she erupted in gratitude to God thanking God, praising him. It was physical, what she, how she responded. And you know what happened next? <laughs> she got out her phone, and she called, I think, everyone she knows <laughs> and told them the good news. Yeah. I didn't have to train her <laughs> to make those calls. I didn't have to convince her to make those calls. She just couldn't help but share the good news. Yeah, yeah. Witnessing is a natural part of following Jesus. But are we slow to share the good news? If so, do we know how good the news really is? Witnessing isn't just another thing to add to the list. It's an integral part of God's plan to reach the world, and he wants to use us. Second, thanks be to God that we aren't just commanded to be witnesses. We're also empowered to be witnesses. So we serve a God who supplies what he demands. So God is God. He could rightly make demands of us and leave us to ourselves to figure it out. But he doesn't do that. He equips us and enables us to obey the commands that he gives us. Look back at the text. We'll see two things. I think we'll see that Jesus gives us a supernatural source of power and a supernatural story of power. Let's talk first about that supernatural source of power. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So here Jesus promises his followers, that they will receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will give them power to be his witnesses. Before we get too much farther, we have to ask the question, well, what is the Holy Spirit? I think the better question to ask is, who is the Holy Spirit? So we know the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And that Trinity word is complicated, it's complex. We can't sum it up. We can try to use metaphors or cute stories, but nothing does it justice. But we know from Scripture there's God the Father, there is God the Son, and there is God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying you will receive God, the Holy Spirit. He is God. So when Jesus is leaving his followers, he's saying, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending you a helper. Back in John 16, Jesus starts talking to his disciples about leaving them one day. And of course they get sad and sorrowful. And here's how he responds. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, The helper will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying it's one thing for God to be with you. Jesus was with his disciples. But it's another thing for God to be in you. And that's what he wants to do. He says it like this in John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Jesus isn't just going to the Father. He's sending the Spirit. He's saying, I want to accomplish my work through you by putting my DNA inside of you in the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do in Jesus' followers? He radically transforms them and enables them to carry out God's will. Let's look again at Peter. Remember earlier I said in Acts chapter 4, Peter stands before the rulers of the day, the president, Congress, all of them. And he says, I will not stop speaking about Jesus, no matter what you do to me. But Peter wasn't always like that. (laughs) Some of you know, back in Luke 22, Jesus is arrested, and his disciples, including Peter, they run away, they scatter. Three times, people come up to Peter and say, oh, he was with Jesus, he's one of his followers, and Peter denies that he even knew Jesus. That same Peter, transformed by the Holy Spirit, stands before the rulers of the day, and says, I won't stop speaking about Jesus. There's no personality trait, (laughs) there's no inclination or leaning you have that the Holy Spirit cannot and will not overcome. He has transformed you and he is transforming you to carry out his mission. So we not only have a supernatural source of power, I think Jesus wants us to know we have a supernatural story of power. So we've already said witnesses are those who testify to what they've seen and heard. Another way we can say it is witnesses are those who have a story to tell. Let's go back one more time to Peter. Chapter 4, they get arrested for speaking of Jesus. What were they speaking? Let's look in Acts chapter 2. Turn with me there. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. These are some of the words that end up getting Peter arrested. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter is simply telling the story. (laughs) He's simply telling what he saw and what he heard of Jesus. And we think about Peter's testimony, we can make some excuses, right? Like, I wasn't there, I didn't see Jesus's life, I didn't see him risen from the dead, I didn't see any of that, I didn't witness any of that. But Jesus wants you to know, if you are a follower of him, you have a story to tell. Ephesians chapter two says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Dead. Little later, but God, because of his great love, was merciful to us, and he made you alive together with Christ. If you're in Christ this morning, you were dead, And now you're alive. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You were enslaved to sin and now you're free and righteous in Christ. One more, 2 Corinthians 8.9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich for your sake he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. That's your story if you're in Christ. You have a story to tell. If you're not in Christ this morning, that can be your story. (laughs) Though you're dead, you can be alive. Though you're spiritually bankrupt, you can be spiritually wealthy in Jesus. Turn to him. Let him rewrite your story and then go share that story. In John chapter 9, there's a man who's born blind. You've probably heard this story. And There's a religious argument that sparks up about whose sin made this man be born blind. Was it his parents' sin? Was it his own sin? Then Jesus heals this man, and there's another argument, is Jesus a sinner? So the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, go to the man who's been healed, and they say, what do you make of all this? He says, I don't know what all the religious mumbo-jumbo you're talking about, but one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. God isn't asking us to give any more than he's given us, but he's given us everything. So rely on his spirit, share his story. So we're not only commanded to be witnesses, we're not only empowered to be witnesses, we're also stationed to be witnesses. First, that means where you are matters. And we know God loves the world, right? The most quoted verse in all of scripture is John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only son It's clear in Acts 1-8 that Jesus wants to reach the ends of the earth But God has chosen to accomplish that plan through finite human beings who can only be in one place at one time yeah. So Jesus wants his followers to know that where they are matters. He names some specific places They're in Jerusalem. They're just outside of Jerusalem when he says these words to them He's basically saying start where you are this place matters A lot of times we want to skip to the ends of the earth (laughs) to reach the world. And we neglect our neighbors right where we are. In Acts 17, Paul is testifying of Jesus. And he says to his hearers some striking words. He says, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So God made everybody. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That means God determined when and where every person would live. Why? So that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That should totally transform the way we look at where we live and where we work. Do you know God has you where you are, exactly where you are on purpose? It's not just by mere chance. That means my neighbor Mike doesn't just happen to live next door to me. God has placed Mike there that Mike might seek God, that Mike might find God. And what if God wants to use me as part of that plan? What about you? Are you living on purpose where God has placed you? Maybe you hate your house or your apartment or your neighborhood, and you're just waiting until you have enough money or your lease expires to move. Maybe you hate your job, and you're just biding time until you can, a new door opens. What if a new door isn't going to open, <laughs> Because there's somebody in your workplace or neighborhood that God wants to find him, and he wants to use you to do it. Don't ever think where you are is on accident. God has you where you are on purpose. And lastly, God wants us to know that where we are isn't the only place that matters. Since God's plan is to reach the entire world, we can't just limit our focus to where we are. Look at the places that Jesus names. He talks about Jerusalem, the city his disciples were in, He wants to go there with the gospel, wants them to go there with the gospel. That's the place he was killed. Judea, he wants them to go there. He was rejected there previously. Samaria, Jesus once prevented his disciples from even entering Samaria and the ends of the earth. Jesus is basically saying there's no place that's off limits for his message. At one point he was prevented from going those places, but now he wants to reach the entire world with his good news. He's breaking through political, social, cultural boundaries to spread his good news across the world. And we see this in the book of Acts. Verse 8 actually kind of summarizes the whole book. In chapters 1 through 7, the disciples witness in Jerusalem. In 8 through 12, they witness in Judea and Samaria. In chapter 13 through the end, to the ends of their known world. So Jesus is fulfilling his mission. And he wants his followers to be concerned with the spreading of his good news across the entire world. And his disciples clearly, the ones he spoke to, didn't carry that message around the world. They've long been dead and gone. They probably didn't know how big the world actually was. But it's because of their commitment to Jesus that you and I are even in this room. The gospel reached from the Middle East all the way here to Memphis, Tennessee, or wherever God found you. So here at the Avenue, we're committed not just to sharing Jesus here in our local context in this community, but we're committed to supporting God's work around the world. So we pray for people in other places, for missionaries, that God might let them be faithful where they are. We will give financially to people in this country and across the world that his work might go forward. And we will even send some of you across the nation, across the world, to take the good news of Jesus and proclaim his rule and his reign. Our world is big. God wants to reach the whole world with his good news, and he's invited us to participate. I think it's amazing that God dignifies us in this way, that he essentially leaves his work unfinished and invites us in to take part. This is what God's been doing since the beginning of time. Back in Genesis 1 and 2, God's creating the world. You remember this. He makes the light, and he calls the light day, and he calls the darkness night. And he gathers the waters together and calls dry land to appear, and he calls the dry land earth, and he calls the water seas. He's naming things as he goes eventually he stops naming things. You probably remember how the animals got their names. God brings all the animals to Adam. And the Bible says, whatever Adam called every living creature, that was its name. God gave Adam a real job, a real responsibility in his work. and He's doing the same for us. Jesus could have just snapped his fingers and saved everyone he wanted to save in one moment. That's not how he's chosen to work. He's left his work unfinished. He left the earth, but he's given us his Holy Spirit to carry out his work. I think Romans 10 sums it up well. If you'll turn there with me. This is the Apostle Paul writing. In verse 13, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. When you read Paul's writing, it's almost as though God's plan moving forward is dependent upon us. And we know God doesn't need us, but he's chosen to set it up in such a way that the way, the only way his gospel will spread around the earth Is through his people being sent to preach it. God plans to reach the entire world with the good news of the gospel. And he wants to use you and your story. He's commanded you. He's empowered you. And he's stationed you right where you are for that purpose. And he has no plan B. Let's pray. Father, you are good. We thank you once again that you have dignified us by giving us a role to play in your work. We pray that you would embolden and encourage us by your Holy Spirit to carry this message, this good news of the gospel, that those who were dead can have life, that those who were poor can become rich in you, that you would save like only you can save, O Lord. Help us to accomplish your will on this earth. Give us strength. Give us grace. We love you, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.